A quick announcement before we begin. Instead of coming to you weekly, we are now releasing an episode every other week. This will allow us to go deeper with our research, talk to experts, and bring you some fun interviews as we develop these cool, interesting stories. Thank you so much for your support. And please remember to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review on Apple, and share with your friends. You can also find all our research and extra stuff on our website, 3 Now please enjoy episode four. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of 3 Daisy Things. Uh, how are you guys? Doing I'm good. good. I'm good. What's the first fact for today? It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's the pandemic, so we're just watching TV all the time. So I've every time I watch a Hindi movie, I have this perhaps annoying habit of comparing one movie or one TV show to the other. They're like, oh, this is like that. So the other day we were watching The Prestige. And while we were watching it, Geetu was like, Oh my God, this is exactly like Doom 3. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, so I, because I had not seen Doom 3. So then it turns out Doom 3 has ripped off like several movies. I'm going to interject here. Sarb really came and was like, let's watch a Christopher Nolan movie. It's like one of his best. It's so good. Ugh, let's watch The Prestige. And was like trying to show me like highbrow cinema. I don't know if The Prestige is highbrow, but like whatever. And I was like, cool, cool. Hold my beer. Have you heard about Doom 3, which has the exact same plot? And Tarp was like, no, it doesn't. And then we watched it, and it did. Interesting. So then what happened? <laughs> so I wanted to see if the reverse happens. And obviously, I also went went deep into how many Hindi or Bollywood films have been copied from Hollywood. But I wanted to see if the reverse inspiration, let's call it inspiration for legal reasons, um, also happens. And it turns out... It has. Uh, so I learned that the famous animated scene from Kill Bill in Volume 1. I don't know if you've seen Kill Bill Volume 1. Uh, there's like an animated like manga killing scene. That apparently uh, is inspired by a Tamil movie, Alawandan, uh, which from 2001, which uh, was dubbed in Hindi as Abhay and which was like a complete flop. But that's apparently inspired from that movie. I, I, what I want to know is like how Taron... Tarantino like first saw that movie. Tarantino is like famously well versed in global cinema. He was actually a huge fan of Bong Joon Ho, the director of Parasite, well before you know he was kind of popular, at least in the U.S. And I think he actually thanked him in his Oscar speech last year, kind of for supporting. So he's really well, like he knows his global cinema. So I wouldn't be surprised if he'd seen it and maybe been inspired. Though, I feel like more often than not, it's Bollywood taking inspiration from Hollywood rather than the other way around. Yeah, I mean, Tarantino himself told Anurag Kashyap, who's like a pretty famous Bollywood director, a lot of his filmmaking style is inspired by Scorsese and Tarantino. So Tarantino told Kashyap that he saw this, I think he saw a DVD or maybe, a yeah, 2001 must be a DVD. So he saw a DVD of uh, Abhay or Alavandam and he's like, oh my God, I saw this amazing animation sequence. And I was like, okay, I should do something like this for Kill Bill Volume 1. And that's how it, that's how it turns out Kill Bill Volume 1's animated sequence was made. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Any, any other inspirations are... Famously inspired by Bollywood. So. At least I couldn't find many. Shocking. If some listeners, if they think, if they can send any 
uh, examples. I'd love to take a look at them. Yeah, tweet them at us. But the more fun thing to talk about is how Bollywood has copied Hollywood. And there are several examples of that. And I wanted to kind of play a little game here. So I'm going to say the name of the English movie or the inspiration movie. And you'll have to guess which is the Hindi one. I'm going to kick ass at this. I'm going to be really bad at this. Veda, how is that possible? Come on! I'll be surprised that that movie is inspired by something else. Veda's going to be like, oh yeah! But anyway, let's see. So you're telling us us the Hollywood movie or the Bollywood movie? I'm telling you the the Hollywood. Okay, got it. A Star is Born. Ashki 2. You know what's interesting is that uh, Indians thought that A Star is Born... Copied Ashiki too. <laughs> that was the best. People were like, <laughs> when Star is Born came out, they were like, hey, bhai, ye Ashiki too ki copy hai. And then somebody had to be like, no, A Star is Born was made with Barbara Streisand years ago. This is a remake. And nobody got that. And I've actually, I think there was like a concerted online effort. Like, if you look at the comments about anything of a Star's Born, it's like, oh, Ashki Diu ka remake, they ripped off Ashki to great. My favorite was, my favorite tweet I saw was, Shadra Kapoor is greater than Lady Gaga. <laughs> and that's funny because Lady Gaga sang all her songs. Shraddha Kapoor is actually a good singer, though. All right, but she's no Lady Gaga, sorry. She's not. But <laughs> she's apparently related to the Mangeshkars, so that's where she... She gets the singing talent from. Okay. That was Sarb's tweet. Shraddha Kapoor greater than Lady Gaga. Okay. Italian job. Oh, players. Yeah. So that is the official remake. Oh, okay. Which I think is much better than Lady There's an unofficial remake also. Uh, no. It's the official one. <laughs> can you? I, I might, I'm not getting these at all. So do you think you can do the Hindi movie and I'll try and guess the English? Uh, okay. God to see great ho. Oh, I know. Oh, I know which one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see it. I see it. It's the one with Steve Martin, right? Bruce Almighty. Oh, right. Sorry, sorry. Bruce Almighty. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. <laughs> okay. Bruce Almighty has Wait, Jim Carrey. Do that Jim Carrey and Steve Martin were the same person. <laughs> I could see the movie poster. <laughs> All right, do, do, an, do an easy one. Do an easy one. Okay, Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, the Kamal Hassan. Chachi Charsobis. Okay. <laughs> yes, I got one. <laughs> okay, my best friend's wedding. Oh, Mary Yarki Shadi. Direct translation. They changed the like, point. So in the Hindi remake, they have spoiler the, alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. You know, the best friends get together, and Yash Chopra, who's like the father of the actor Uday Chopra in the movie, who plays the best friend. He was like, the dad was like, oh, you know, that ending is a gift to my son. Like, so that he, like, gets the girl or whatever. And I'm like, that's not how you should make a movie. Like, it should make sense. You just completely took away the essence of that movie. Like, (laughs) (laughs) all right. I'm really enjoying this quiz, actually. Uh, Keep going. Reservoir Dogs. Thus. No, it's Kante. Kante. Okay, I knew it was one of those. I knew it was one of those uh, Sanjay Dutt movies. (laughs) <laughs> Let me switch to Hindi. Dil hai ki manta nahi. Oh, 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 our second old lady. Not our second. It happened one night. Wow, I actually didn't know that was a remake. It's a super old movie. It's like from the 40s and 50s. It's black and white. It's, um. That one's a good Hindi movie. movie. That's a good Hindi movie. I know, because it's, it's a good original. Okay, West Side Story. What is that? Oh my god, I know this. 
Josh. Sailero, Sailere. Kya bola I, you know why I didn't get that is because of the they changed up the Ashwarya Rai and Shadow Khan are like twin brother sister, which is like not <laughs> in West Side stories. So it becomes like about something else. But can we talk about how one of the gangs in it is named Bichu Gang <laughs> and Eagle Gang, and we're supposed to take these guys seriously? But in the original, it's the Sharks and the Jets. That's not like that much cooler. I think Sharks and Jets is much better are much better names than Bichu and Eagle. Whatever. Hashtag Bichu Gang for life. Uh, back to the Future. They didn't make Back to the Future. It's action replay. Oh! Beads, we went to see that together. Do you remember? And we walked out. Did we walk out? No, it was I who walked it's out. It's really, really bad. It's, it's really bad. It's not even I walked watchable. Out. Yeah, okay. Interesting. It's the only movie I've walked out of. My favorite when Harry met Sally. Bailey, you know this. Hamtum. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The only movie in this list that I think is better than the original. <laughs> they did a very good adaptation to the Indian context. I 100% agree with that. And Hamtum, I think, ages better than when Harry met Sally. When Harry met Sally looks dated now, but Hamtum is still fun. Yeah, I recently rewatched it. Okay. Another one of my favorite inspirations dead poet society oh this is mohabate mohabate is based on dead poet society <laughs> guys i really wish you could see veda's face her eyes are half the size of her head right now. oh my god can we talk about how robin williams teaches the boys to seize the day carpe diem and all of that and sharok basically teaches the boys how to score <laughs> He's like, right on a leaf. I love you. This is blowing up my mind. The no, Mahabate Dead Poets really Society. This one really hurts because Mahabate, first of all, is like six it's hours really long. Bad. It's so long and nothing happens. Oh, is this why there's like a New Englandy feel to Mahabate? Like, yeah, this is why they're all writing on maple leaves. But you're like, where are there maple fa- trees in India? I mean, there. I don't know. Maybe there are somewhere. Yeah, we don't know. I did make this point to my father once and he was like, it's a Chinar leaf, Keetu. And I was like, they're not in Srinagar. I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe. I mean, it's a boarding school in a hill station. By the way, like, so my my mom and my nani, I think I watched it with them and they, both of them didn't like it because they were like, it's not right. They should, this is a time when they should be studying. They're just teaching them to go out and do fitru. I think this was more my grandmother saying it, but like, I remember this, I don't remember who said what, but it was definitely like the vibe was like, this is the age they should be studying. What is this movie? I was like, there there wouldn't have been a movie. It was just a bunch of people studying. (laughs) And Sleepless in Seattle. This one pains me. Because it's kuch kuch hota hai and... How is it kuch kuch hota hai? I think it's like cleverly disguised inspiration. But it is nonetheless because it's the kid trying to get his dad married. And like instead of calling into a radio show, there's this bizarre letter situation that happens. Sorry, DM me if you want to talk about this. This movie's whack, but I love it. Wait, you missed one, Sarb, that I was thinking of. Akele hum, akele tum is Kramer versus Kramer. For people, um, you know, who may not know, there is a whole bunch of like, um, you know, move remakes of in uh, Bollywood that were like inspired by Hollywood movies where like people, the parents were divorced or couples get divorced. 
But in the Indian context, like the institution of marriage must be preserved at all costs and divorce is too hard. So at the end, all these movies, the separated couples come back together. Also in Chachi Charso Beast, which again, famously in Mrs. Doubtfire, they don't get back together. I also wanted to mention that in Akele Hum Akele Tum, which kind of translates to you and I are both alone, I guess. <laughs> one of the songs is ripped off straight from the Godfather theme. And one of the songs is ripped off straight from Deep Purple's uh, Child in Time. I mean, that's a whole separate episode about songs that are the same. Like that all, that I never guess. And I'm always like, what a great tune. And so I was like, oh, it's directly copied from ABBA. And I'm like, why would you do this to me? And then once you hear it, you can never unhear it. That's all I have. Well, that was super fun. I really like that. We will release this list on our Twitter and Instagram and stuff. So please check these movies out. Most of them are available on Netflix. I really want to encourage people to start watching more Bollywood film. I mean, we rag on it, but it's so fun. I was just going to say that we just spent like all this time like making jokes and stuff. But like we, you know, rewatching these is actually like just gives you this like really nice, warm and cozy feeling. So. like Veda just mentioned, at the end, everything is usually okay, right? So it's it's a good pandemic watch. Now that we've got the frivolous topic out of the way, I feel like Veda brings the gravitas to the podcast. <laughs> Veda's a true journalist. Yeah, like we are like, oh, let's talk about chai. Let's talk about gin and tonic. Veda is like suicide bomber. <laughs> Uh, when I was at the New York Times, I used to work the like international beat in the beginning, like across the world, working with all, a lot of the bureaus and a lot of like tough, serious stories. And I think they needed me to fill in on um, some of the different beats, like uh, travel and culture for a little while. So, and I brought the darkness into travel and culture. And then like the person who came back was like, all right, I don't, Veda, like, I don't know. Like we're, you cannot do these. Like you just made travel so dark. Like I made uh, a travel story about like loneliness on the road and like, <laughs> Like how we're all alone and solitary existence on a road trip. And we're like, can't we just see Iceland? Like, why'd you have to bring the dark in? Veda's like, it gets dark at 3 p.m., but it's always dark in your soul. (laughs) Go for it, Veda. Okay, cool. So um, I think this is actually a a pretty, uh, you know, cool fact so the world's first female prime minister was a woman named Sirimavo Bandarnaike, and she was of Sri Lanka, and she became prime minister in 1960. Um, and that was, she actually became prime minister three times. And interestingly, later, her daughter joined politics, and her daughter's name was Jandrika Kumartunga, and she became Sri Lanka's first female president. And actually, in her mother's uh, last term as prime minister, the daughter was president. So there was also like some family nepotistic synergy going on over there. But I actually, I had a, I knew about Chandrika Kumaratunga because that was in the 90s. And um, I remember hearing about uh, the female president of Sri Lanka, but I recently only um, learned about her mother. And I just thought that this was, I think, a lesser known fact about 
this female prime minister in the 60s. I was actually really surprised to learn about this because I, for whatever reason, had thought that the first female head of state was Margaret Thatcher. But I think that's just I mean, I don't I don't think people are like purporting that she was, but I think she's just like a really well known one. But it's really interesting that all the way in Sri Lanka in, did you say 1960? Yeah, 1960. That's like two decades before Thatcher. I mean, and interestingly, you know, actually in South Asia itself, there have been several, you know, female prime ministers. It has a history of having these heads of state. And I was looking up the contemporaries of Bandar Naike, Sirimabu Bandar Naike. And so in the 60s, her contemporaries were initially in India was Prime Minister Nehru, and then later Indira Gandhi. So she was also a female prime minister in, she became prime minister in 1966. And uh, uh, in Pakistan, Prime Minister Zulfikar Ali Bhutto uh, in the 70s was a contemporary of Bandar Naike in her second term. And later his daughter, Benazir Bhutto, became Pakistan's female prime minister. So there's a there's, you know, some of that going on in the region, which is really interesting, because kind of well ahead of Western contemporaries. I mean, as we all know, the US still hasn't had a female head of state. And at this point, who knows when that's going to happen? Who knows what's going on in this country period right now? But so was she like, liked? Was she, was she like, was she beloved in the country? Was she like, what? tell us a little bit more about her time in power. So she, like like a lot of these uh, Indira Gandhi and Benazir Bhutto uh, who came afterwards, um, she came to power um, because of like her family links uh, initially. So her husband was a politician and he was the prime minister. And then he was assassinated in 1959. And uh, she... Uh, you know, was the mother of three kids, uh, but the party, um, you know, kind of asked her to step in and she did. Their party's name was the Sri Lanka Freedom Party or the SLFP. um, And she became the SLFP's leader. For those who don't know about a little bit about, um, you know, Sri Lanka's like background, basically the backdrop is that so first of all, her party was like a socialist kind of party and she enacted a lot of like very common like socialist economic policies that was like nationalizing industry, uh, restricting free enterprise, those kinds of economic policies that a lot of socialist countries enacted at that time. But for those that don't know about, you know, Sri Lanka's little a little backdrop about Sri Lanka, there have been a lot of conflict between um, these two ethnic groups, the Sinhalese, who are the majority, and the Tamils, who are the minority. And this had been a long-standing issue. Um, later, um, and we can talk about it more. Later, it turned into a very intense, violent civil war. But um, at this time, when Bandar Naike was prime minister, one of the things she did, she she some of her policies made those ethnic relations worse. She made Sinhala the sole official language. So, in a country with, you know the Tamil minority who spoke Tamil, um, her government was supporting Sinhalese culture um, and language, and it really set the stage for a lot of these ethnic rivalries and discriminatory policies that made things much worse and create a lot more conflict for Sri Lanka later. And this was like really interesting to me because this is a person who'd been kind of trained, she'd gone to English medium schools, she was, you know, like she was from this like 
aristocratic family. So definitely had had the privilege of all of that. And there's a difference between like preserving a language and a culture and kind of promoting it as the nation's primary when you have a large minority who doesn't speak that language, who doesn't necessarily follow that culture. And it led to a lot of unrest in Sri Lanka at the time. And I was reading that her term was really marked by a lot of like economic, um, like a high level rates of unemployment, uh, like Sri Lanka's economy wasn't doing that well. And she was like, not that popular for a while to the point where wasn't she ousted and stripped of her civil rights and then like was banned from government for a while or something? Like, I feel like it's Thatcher-esque in that way, right? Like the people who loved her loved her, but there's a lot of people who were like, yeah, you did not do good overall for the country. I would say other than, you know, the economic distress and worsening of ethnic tensions and thus, which later resulted in civil war of of her country, um, beyond that of a legacy, one of the things that is kind of interesting is that in her second term, they put into effect a new constitution and they made um, the Sri Lanka into the republic that we now know before it was referred to as Ceylon. So that's also something that probably she can be remembered by, you know. Well, and like, you know, this is relatively minor given some of the other stuff, but she did like establish Sri Lanka's Ministry of Women and Child Affairs. And she, for better or for worse, like nationalized like their education and their banking and that sort of stuff. I don't actually know whether if that was to like provide kind of standardization across Sri Lanka, that could potentially be uh, beneficial. But there's, I mean, her legacy is definitely tarnished. But I don't know when I was reading about her. I've just watched The Crown, so like obviously Margaret Thatcher is like in the forefront of my mind. There are a lot of similarities, right? Like these women who come to power tend to be more right-leaning, more conservative. It's interesting that that's what we've seen so far on like or at least between these two on the national stage in a similar time period. It's a bit complicated because on the one hand it does have her policies do reflect that. But then on the other hand, she has this like left socialist agenda. So it's, it's this um, a mix of things, but kind of making some very strong decisions and kind of sticking to it in that similar way that we saw with Thatcher and saw with Indira Gandhi. I think that they're, you know, a political scientist can speak to this more, but I, I wonder if there is something to how some of these um, first female leaders were under a lot of pressure to be like, kind of take some... Stick to their resolve. Yeah, stick to their resolve and and show a lot of strength. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to counteract all that like discourse that inevitably happens that, that are like women are too emotional or like, you know, are too soft on X, Y, and Z. So I think you really have to stick to like strong and oftentimes nationalistic policies. You see it with Thatcher, right? Like she famously was kind of anti-women in her government, except for herself, because she was like somehow above it. But And similarly, like you mentioned that Sri Lanka's constitution was made during her time, right? Similarly, in India, in uh, Indira Gandhi, when she was prime minister in 1976, they amended the constitution. They added the word socialist to it. Uh, it used to not be the case. It used to be India is a sovereign democratic republic. That was changed to India is a sovereign 
socialist, secular, democratic republic. And she also, well, Indira Gandhi is now famously remembered for throwing journalists in jail in 1975. She declared emergency. Um, so she, her legacy is also kind of, uh, she was seen as a strong woman. Henry Kissinger famously called her the B word. I think Henry Kissinger just called everyone the B word. I do just want to point out one thing, though. It is interesting that we don't really talk about this woman, right? Like, I didn't know till Veda told me this fact. And then I was like, I'm going to double check this because are we sure? Like, there, we have to work towards stopping this, like, whitewashing of history. Margaret Thatcher gets so much attention for being, like, you know, a female leader in the 80s. But, like, countries like India, Sri Lanka were doing it before. Let's Let's talk about it. And for better or for worse, right? Like these women, they have a lot of kind of controversial policies and some of them are cruel, but let's talk about it. Let's get that information out there. You know what's interesting about uh, Bandar Naike is that she had three kids and uh, she had a son um, who was also involved in politics. He was, I mean, he was, she had a son who was in politics. He was more in the right-wing faction of her party. And um, the son and the daughter had a son Anura and daughter Chandrika had like a bit of like a you know a fight within the party and the daughter emerged and became the prime minister president or the prime minister I'm a little confused about how the how it works she became prime minister and then later won the election to become the president Pre- and then oh, she gosh. appointed her mom to be prime minister so there seems to be a little bit of movement between the prime minister and the, the president roles. in this case i don't know exactly why she was both but um but first female president but interesting because in indira gandhi's case she was the only child and you know she kind of took on her dad's legacy in benazir Puto's case she did have a bunch of brothers but there was a lot of other stuff going on and she kind of emerged so um these like big I think these big like dynasties um, within South Asia, like political dynasties, uh, you see them in several of the countries and how like generationally they're like um, having these like fights for who's going to take over. And it's certainly a leg up for these women, right, to have kind of a political dynasty behind them, which so far besides the Bushes and John Adams, we haven't really seen in U.S. politics, right? Like. Hillary was kind of an example of that, but not really. Like, we don't have these, like, I mean, oh, well, Kennedy's. the Kennedys, but, like, they only, that's a whole separate thing. <laughs> they are, they are, but no woman ever rose from there. It's not like Maria Schreiber was like, I'm a run for president. Well, I mean, the Kennedys were definitely, like, the, I big think, the closest to the big, yeah, dynasts, and you still have, have them in this generation. But anyway, it it is interesting that these women come from these like large dynastic families, and that definitely I think helps their kind of bid for these positions. Unlike Margaret Thatcher again, who came from who was like the daughter of a shop owner or something. The reason why I even you knew of this or actually started looking this up was because I I knew of the daughter Chandrika Kumar Tunga, and and when I was a kid. I think my mom was like looking. You knew her personally? No, no, she knew of her. And 
But I, I, when I started looking into her, I learned about her mother and what this history is of the world's first female prime minister. But how I even got to know about Chandrika Kumar Dunga was that my mom was looking for, you know, represent like representation of like female leaders to role model for me and like for me to feel inspired and. She was like it was it was like slim pickings. So she was like <laughs> looking around and um it just shows how much it matters because I remember feeling very very excited and intrigued by this and I didn't even know anything about Sri Lanka, right? Like I and I was just like okay that's so cool there's like this president and I you know it's one I like read up about her and then somebody gave me like a diary as a present and it was like one of those pink Hello Kitty kind of diaries it was my first diary and in the diary you can like name the diary and it says like hello my name is or whatever and i named the diary chandrika kumar tunga so <gasps> that's so cute and and um i recently found it when i went back home to my parents house and it says it in there it says like hello my name is chandrika <laughs> but that's what i'm saying like we have to talk about female leaders and like for everyone for little girls little boys across the world like we have to make sure that that's the only way you're going to get equity right if you make it clear from a young age that all these things are possible yeah thanks to thanks to this family and Hillary i think uh Hillary Clinton's first lady then Ben Azir had just been Ben Azir Bhutto just been prime minister in Pakistan so Indira Gandhi didn't feature on your list no i'm saying at that time in the 90s when i was a kid all of these three women were active um i had a little bit of ambition to to be able to you know go far there's still time waiter for you you're still young listen she became prime minister when she had three kids babe you could do it now not prime minister. i don't have three kids listeners <laughs> i'm just saying you don't even have that responsibility <laughs> yeah dear listener veda has no kids <laughs> and certainly not three <laughs> i do want to put it, and this is completely random and this i'm saying this purely because this is a topic about sri lanka i want to put in a word for one of the best novels i've read in the past decade it's by a sri lankan author it's called china men the legend of pradeep mathew it's essentially about the 1996 cricket world cup that was jointly hosted by india pakistan and sri lanka but it's also a story of the island as much as it is a story of cricket and it's really well written and uh, it's so the author's name is shehan karunatilaka i highly highly recommend people read china man the legend of pradeep mathew and for references in cricket china man is somebody who somebody who's a left arm leg spinner i'm sure there's some colonial reason to that but a colonial probably racist reason i've never heard of this term before especially cuz when i play cricket i'm like pitch it to me and they're like what's pitching <laughs> you're like you're like home run <laughs> i mean in terms of pitching if you it's called left arm it's now called left arm unorthodox spin but it when you like it's somebody who pitches with their left arm and makes the ball turn from left to right uh you know speaking of recommendations of books by sri lankan authors i just want to also plug my favorite novel beautiful novel by the writer 
Sham Salvadurai. Uh, it's recently been made into a movie. It's called Funny Boy. And it's been made into a movie by Deepa Mehta. It's from the perspective of a child. You get to also, again, like the history and kind of like of the conflict between the Sinhalese and Tamils as this boy grows up. And you can see like the antecedents of this tension. He's seeing it um, when he's quite small and then a teenager. And then eventually his family has to escape because of the riots. And his family is Tamil um, and he's also gay. So it's like this like coming of age book and also like talking about the civil war and conflict and just really beautiful and the movie is really uh very well shot and very beautiful and they shot it in sri lanka so but keep your eye out for that yeah what check out when it comes on netflix in the states very intense and very informative fact i'm gonna bring it back down to my frivolous level don't be so harsh on yourself it's not frivolous i'll let you the listener decide but i do want to say that this daisy thing is in honor of veda because my daisy thing for this week is that samosas the quintessential indian snack the thing that everybody thinks about when they think about you know indian street food are actually not indian they have their roots in the Middle East and Central Asia. And like this was this kept me up at night, you guys. Like everything I know about the samosa is not true. It turns out. I just want to point out that samosa is a North Indian thing. If you look further down south, it's samosas are not that common. Yeah, I'm going to circle back to that. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, because I found out something about samosas in the South. But I'm just going to start off by saying, so we don't really, we don't exactly know when and exactly where the samosa was uh, first created or um, mentioned, because it shows up several times in global history. Some people say that the first time it's mentioned is in a ninth century poem by Persian poet Ishaq al-Masili. Others say that it was first mentioned in literature by Persian historian Abul Fazl Behaki, who was writing in the 11th century. But we know that it came to India from Persia, went through Central Asia, and kind of makes its way to India in the 16th century. It's known by a variety of names. It's It was called Sanbusag, Sanbusak. It's still globally known by a variety of different names. And when it originally appeared in India... There were these small spicy pies filled with minced meat and a variety of nuts and onions, which I want to formally apologize to every person I've ever told that samosa shouldn't have meat in them because clearly this is where they started. And they're mentioned in poetry a lot. Ibn Battuta, who's like a pretty famous poet, is like has like a whole paragraph in one of his poems, like waxing poetic about this snack, which was also... Interestingly enough, the third course in the meals that people would have, like, I don't know what the first two courses were, then you'd have a samosa, and then you'd continue. But Can we talk? No, hold on, I'm not done yet. <laughs> but you see it come to its current form of this like potato peas in a crust. When the Portuguese come to India, they bring the potato with them. The samosa has been there for a while, like the meat pie variety. And somebody, I don't know who, had the brilliant idea of stuffing potatoes into this like flaky crust. And guys, the rest, as they say, is history. Delicious treat was born. I, first of all, I thank you for this 
for this fact. It's getting me really hungry. And also anyone who knows me knows that I'm like obsessed with samosas. Like I at random moments and like just like on the hunt for a samosa. So it is um, people are have sent me like have eat samosas and then message me and say I remembered you um, and I thought of you. <laughs> people send me links to like new kinds of samosas. So it's great to dig in on this. You know, there's this like BBC article um, where the writer Justin Rowlett said that basically you could think of the samosa as like a historic artifact of like the process of globalization because it's like evolved so much and different uh, you know, countries and different regions have like different versions of it. And as Zara mentioned, like there's so many even snacks in India, but even within India, like there are like 15 to 20 like pan Indian varieties of like different fillings and samosas and I also earlier thought that kima or the meat filled samosa like is like a variation where it actually it is like one of the originals so I I thought it was an American bastardization and I was like this is a like travesty how can you put meat in a samosa but nope that's where it started <laughs> I mean when I was in school in our school canteen we used to get Chinese samosa so you would have noodles inside the samosa it was kind of interesting there was a scroll article um, about samosas and it was talking about, um, so there's like so much, as you're mentioning, like so much different kinds of like literature reflecting samosas. So there's this like 15th century manuscript um, called the Nimatnama, which refers to like a book of delights. And it is like a different kind of like, a, it's like a recipe book and it has a bunch of different things in there, but it has samosas um, and it has eight different recipes for making samosas, but not a single one of them has potatoes in it. And it's funny in the article, there's like a section called the missing potatoes because like everybody's <laughs> like, where's the alu? And um, apparently it's because like, like potatoes came to the subcontinent like later. And um, at this point, they were around, but they weren't as like popular as a staple um, in the Indian diet. So, I mean, it, I think that article that talks about samosas as being like, you know, like a symbol of globalization really does. It really does point out that like India became this kind of hub where because it was on the spice route. So they were getting so many of these things from um, outside the country, be it from the Middle East or from South America. And Indians are notoriously good at like taking what you bring us and then just like Indianizing it. So we have so many foods that are not originally ours that we've adopted all the way down to Sarb's noodle samosa. I think there was a little bit of an uproar or maybe the Chinese samosa that we had in our canteen was not that popular. So they canceled it. But uh, there's a bunch of other foods that are seen as Indian that are not really Indian. I mean, they are now part of the quintessential Indian cuisine, but the first one I want to mention is gulab jamun, which is a part of every Indian wedding. Is like a dessert item that you cannot think of without thinking of India. But gulab jamun, uh, I read, could be from Central Asia or Persia. Um, it's potentially a variant of an Arabic dessert called lukma talqadi, which is essentially fried I think like fried... Like a donut. Yeah, fried dough balls in sugar syrup, which you can see how that's similar to gulab jamun. There's another theory that claims it was invented in Emperor Shah Jahan's kitchens in the 1600s. So there's like similarities to different dishes from Persia or Turkic origin dishes. 
Well, and there's one theory that says it's called a gulab jamun because originally used to soak it in rose water. That's what gulab means rose, right? So like there's, it's hard to kind of trace these things because I think a lot of things are happening concurrently and you don't know exactly where they came from. It's super interesting to dig into like how these things change. Of course, history and like how people moved will shape like how foods developed and stuff. And you know, the title of like one article I read about samosas like from Times of India was like the history of like the samosa will break your heart. And I was like, why should it break my heart? Like, I'm okay with this. I just I think it's actually really cool that this is the way it's been shaped. So I think I can kind of speak to that because we are as Indians or South Asians, we are so we have so much pride in our food and food is i think one of the things that we like love to claim as like our original thing which is i mean we have really a really rich heritage of food but a lot of that has been influenced by people coming in and out and that's just what it is that's that is what it is that doesn't take away from what we have in fact we've enhanced a lot of it i mean one thing that blew my mind when i learned of this is that Chili is not native to India. Like spicy food is our thing now, but like chili is not native to India. It's it's brought in by the Portuguese, I think. I think it was. The Portuguese actually brought a lot of stuff. I, when I was looking for other foods, I found out that rajma or kidney beans are not originally Indian. It was the Mexicans who first like soaked it in water and boiled it with spices. But that article, I love Indians because that article ended with, of course, the rajma has been greatly enhanced by the addition of Indian spices. But that's what I'm saying. Like these things do become yours. I mean, it's been like 400 years. I think even like tomatoes, like a lot of vegetables that have aced common in the South Asian diet or Indian diet came at different times and became more popular. Yeah, tomato is not native. Again, from the Portuguese, I believe. Potato is not native. The Europeans brought it. Okra is not native. Okra is not native. Which, for whatever reason, blew Sarb's mind. <laughs> you know what else is a native to America? White people. So, <laughs> around the time yeah. that around the time that aloo was being put in the samosa, uh, you know, the pilgrims were heading to <laughs> the colonial settlers are heading to New England. So just just <laughs> I think we can feel okay about it. <laughs> Samosas and alu are here to stay, you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I also think you can kind of reframe it as like India is a very global community and it was for a really like it still is. But like we were a global hub long before, you know, a lot of these Western countries because everybody had to go through us for the spice route. And that's led to the super rich culture that we should really be proud of instead of being like, no, it's ours. Like, yeah, it came from Persia. Great. Look what we did to it. And then there's so many still variants of samosas all over the world. And they're all kind of like known by similar-ish names. You know, you like find it in Africa. You find it in the Middle East. You find it in, you know, Goa and Portugal. Like Goa is it, part of India. Goa is part of India. But their samosa is called Chamukas. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. But they are filled with like chicken and beef and they're kind of still more of that um, original uh, variety. There's apparently in Brazil, they're called pastis. People say that the empanada is kind of uh, inspired by the samosa. So like in Israel, it's called sambusak. There's a lot of stuff going on. That's really cool. The samosa unites us. Is the Ethiopian uh, sambusa also related? Yes. Yes. It's also the same... um, 
I mean, if you haven't had a samosa, first of all, what are you doing with yourself? But if you haven't had a samosa, go have one. It's such a good snack that it's been taken all over the world and adapted. An article I think it was in Quartz that I read was like referred to samosa as like a socially adaptive snack. <laughs> like it like adapted as it went to each each people and like carried on and because it was small and how it was it was like easy for travelers to carry yeah i mean i also read that like originally it was this kind of like a royal treat or whatever but then later on in central asia like it became this like high calorie food that people who worked in the fields would take with them and eat um because it doesn't require any like fancy stuff samsa it comes from samsa which means like pyramid was inspired by the like triangular feature of like the pyramids in central asia that's really interesting oh, wow. i didn't know that i'm telling you it's the samosa is going to save the world it's the thing that unites us all and just throwing a plug if you live in the u.s go find yourself an indian store go to their frozen food section Deep samosa, potato and peas, one minute in the microwave, 10 minutes in the oven at 350. Please send your thanks and flowers to me. Or, or if you go early in the morning, you'll get the fresh batch that has come in from New Jersey if, you're, if you live on the East Coast. You know, most people eat it with a tamarind chutney or a coriander chutney. Veda eats it with hummus for some reason because she's really, she's a, she's taking it back. I'm a global, I'm, I have a global taste. I eat them with guac, with hummus. Some, you know what, they're really, especially these frozen beef samosas, they're really good with the Taco Bell fire mild sauce. It's just like, it's almost like a little, it's a little tangy chutney type thing. You know? We're going to get a lot of anger for your samosa variations. <laughs> or or it's it's this quintessential, this is what will happen to the samosa. You soon Taco Bell will be carrying it with because of Veda's recommendation. But going back to something Sarb said earlier, he said it wasn't that popular in the South. This is not super verified because I couldn't really find like an actual legit source saying this. But a lot of people were saying that samosas in South India have different fillings and often are filled with like cabbage and stuff. And a thing that I saw over and over again was samosas in the South are not eaten with chutney. And for an area of the country that's like, has the best chutneys, that's shocking to me. But the best part of the samosa is the corner, right? If you're sharing, if you're sharing a samosa, that's what people fight over, right? Like you're, that's like my brother and I used to fight over that. Like you you took all the corners. So when we were kids, there was, there weren't so many Indian stores in the Boston area. And anyway, we used to go to one and um, there was this elderly man that used to run the store. And, you know, there used to be a tray of samosas like right at the, near the cash register and then some sweets. And uh, yeah. I, I have all, even as a kid, I really liked the salty stuff, the samosa, and, and my brother Karthik, he really liked the sweets, and he, his eyes would bright up. Either he wanted the parleji biscuits, or he wanted, like, some mithai, dry mithai. So, we, like, two kids, we, right at the cash register, right when my mom's, like, ready to be done, our eyes would light up, and we'd be like... <laughs> And and um, he was he's like a sweet uncle. Like he used to be like, oh, come on, let them have it. And he would like give my brother like a pack of the parleji and give me a samosa. And I was like, he's the best. 
And so, like, many years later, I was, like, telling my mom, I was like, oh, that uncle, like, that ran the Indian store was so nice. Like, he always used to give us that stuff for free. And she was like, that was not for free. <laughs> I had to pay for all those samosas and farleji and mitai that you guys used to eat right at the end. That was a ploy. You guys are so stupid. <laughs> He was like, oh, let them have it. Ringing it up, ringing it up. <laughs> I thought I'd gotten this, like, consistent supply of free samosas for so long, but I didn't. So, anyway. Nothing's for free, guys. I make a pledge right now to not question any samosa stuffings anymore. Like, sometimes I get mad about the jalapeno and cheese samosa. But you know what? It's fair game. You put whatever in a samosa, I'll try it at least one time. True. True. Now I also used to get judgmental about the jalapeno one, and uh, that's a good. That's a good point. That's a good point. So samosas are great. I love them, but I feel like a lot of times in the West, it's like sometimes the only snack that people really know of. And Indians have great snacks. Like I think we are a plus snackers. So at some point, I think we should release our top ten Indian snacks. Veda's is gonna be like first five spots samosas, but no, I also like var- I also like vada pav. And pao bhaji. Both very good. Oh, also fun. And aloo bonda. Aloo bonda is just like a samosa but wrapped. <laughs> Maybe that's just like 10 variations of dough stuffed with potatoes. All right. Do we have any other food that we want to... Yeah, do we want to make people hungry in any other form? <laughs> no, but I will say I kind of made fun of the poets earlier saying they were waxing poetic about samosas, but, like, that's essentially what we just did. Like, we were just like, samosas the greatest food. At least they found the good words to say them. Unlike us, where you're like, I'm like, oh, but I love them. <laughs> you were like, eat it with some guac. <laughs> Three Desi Things is by Saurav Datar, Geetika Kallu, and Veda Shastri. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot for listening to our episodes. Leave a comment, rate us on Apple Podcasts. It'll help others find our show. And if you have ideas about what we should talk about next, please send us an email at 3daisythings at gmail.com. And follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at 3daisythings.